Hey there, wonderful listeners. Zalda Store here from Impact at Scale, and I'm sending you the warmest wishes for the holiday season. As we wrap up the year, your support has been the greatest gift, and I wanted to take a moment to express my gratitude. If you're enjoying the conversations and stories we share on Impact at Scale, I'd be over the moon if you could spread the love. Give us a little festive gift by hitting that like and subscribe button wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We may be a small show, but every thumbs up propels us towards reaching more ears and hearts. Your support means the world to us, and we're thrilled to have you on this journey. Thank you so much in advance for your kindness. And now, let's get back into the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Impact at Scale podcast. I'm Zalda Stur, your host, and I'm here with Eric Haug, the co-founder and chief vision officer of Light Co-Creative. Hi, Eric. How's, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me, Zal. Great to have you. First question, what is a chief vision officer? <laughs> so, you know, this is a bit of an evolution. My, my role is also CEO uh, and managing all things at like Hook Creative. But I see vision as a focus area of mine and really looking at how to see into the future and communicate where we're growing as a company and where we see our partners can go at Light Co-Creative. And then why don't you tell us a little bit about Light Co-Creative and the work that you're doing and some of the very impressive names that you work with? Yeah, so we are a purpose-driven innovation and strategy consulting firm and collective. We have a large network of purpose-driven professionals around the world who are dedicated to catalyzing positive change, very focused on sustainability and environmental and social good. We won't touch a project if it doesn't have some element of sustainability, environmental and social good. So we do not work on purely profit-driven pursuits. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with leaders at uh, leading organizations and companies around the world, Nike, Cisco, into it and yeah just taking a lot of my my knowledge from core management consulting and entrepreneurship and looking to apply it towards major sustainability environmental and social issues i looked at a bit of your history and you've been involved in sustainability or at least had an interest in it for quite a while was there anything that catalyzed this that made you focus on this area yeah, when I was at university, at George Washington University in D.C., I studied economics and international affairs, and I had a course that was focused on economic development with Professor James Foster, and got to delve into a lot of uh, Muhammad Yunus's teachings and the sustainable development goals, you know, looking overall at more holistic sustainable development and the concept of social business. Uh, so I ended up writing my thesis on social business and the concept of what would it look like if we had a more virtuous and ethical private sector. So really looking at trends in ethical consumerism, CSR, social enterprise, and purpose-driven entrepreneurship, and what would it take for every single uh, company in the private sector to start to really infuse uh, environmental social good into their business models. Uh, so that was more academic and, and a thesis and theoretical. 
but you know, continue to explore ways of bringing deeper meaning into different projects and different ventures and uh, just continue to learn and, and have had the opportunity to work with some incredible leaders and entrepreneurs who are doing truly incredible work. But yeah, it really did st stem from academics and university and then uh, finding opportunities to participate more in different projects. You know, what would it take? Do we think that in 20 or 30 years that all companies may not be for social good, but at least their business models are going to have to transform to definitely be more sustainable. Is that the, the feeling that you're getting? Absolutely. I mean, I, I thoroughly believe that the only way we are going to survive as a species is by addressing many of these environmental and social issues. And I think that's that's a blend. So environmental that, you know, we are impacting climate and uh, there is very clear uh, challenges that we are facing within nature and wildlife and impacts on our food supply. And, and we'll dig into that. But then on the on the social side and looking at, you know, communities and I think the concept that we are an interdependent species and the only future worth creating is, is one for everyone. Um, that, that's actually a pull from Pope Francis's TED Talk, which I highly recommend, uh, incredibly inspiring. Uh, we, we really need to solve these issues or we're going to continue to pay for it. We're going to continue with uh, the suffering here and on planet Earth. And you know, we need to lean in. I think corporations have so much influence, not only from a capital perspective, uh, but from a uh, social movement, behavior change perspective, innovation perspective. And so if we can orient the private sector towards uh, better solutions and better business models, the amount of change is, is going to be extraordinary. Interesting point you raise about reorienting corporations, because these are huge behemoth organizations that are driven with one motive entirely, profit. Not that that's bad. I'm just saying that that's just what the business model has been for the last two, three hundred years. And if you look at the leadership of some of these large corporations, they are rewarded on the performance of their stock price because that is returning to shareholders. How do we change that mindset or how do we get corporations to incorporate more sustainable behavior if that might mean that their profit takes a hit, their stock price takes a hit, and it's ultimately a, a long-term game, but when your average tenure of an S&P 500 CEO is between two to five years, they're not looking at long-term gains. They're looking at how do I maximize my bonus pool? How do I maximize my benefit package uh, for the time that I am in power or at least in the leadership role? How do we get people to think in the long term for what is effectively a short term job? That's the, the question, isn't it? And so well framed. Really, we need we need visionary leadership. That's that's back to the concept of vision. And how can we shift 
leaders, CEOs across the board where the expectation is longer term, uh, the incentives are longer term, and the legacy is is more of a focus uh, as opposed to next quarter. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's incredibly challenging. I, I can only empathize and, you know, begin to imagine uh, being at the helm of a major multi-billion dollar corporation. And, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to, to connect with some and been very fortunate to, to take notes and have mentors and role models that have been at that helm. And it, it's incredibly high pressure, high stakes. You know, some of these issues with sustainability are very sociological, geopolitical, right? There's the, there's the innovation and the business strategy and model side, but it is, what are we shaping as a society? How are we rewarding leaders and companies? And right now, a lot of the rewards are relatively short term. But if you look at the greatest leaders, the greatest companies of all time, they have survived decades. They have looked at long term shareholder value. And now that concept of, of shareholder and stakeholder value is shifting. And so if we can reorient and have more ambition, not only around the financial performance of companies, but around their environmental and social impact, that's the the shift that started to happen. It's hopefully accelerating. And, you know, everything that we touch again at like co-creative and in our ecosystem is aligned with leaders who have that level of vision and at least interest and finding creative, uh, collective <laughs> intelligence ways of, of getting there. So tell me a little bit about how you help these corporates find their way in sustainability. So our, our core offering at Light is market vision, you know, and that's really looking at bringing great tools and technology to understand the market, understand demand and where there are opportunities uh, for innovation and growth. Uh, and then that informs so that market research, that, that core capability of market vision informs venture building and strategic marketing, business and ecosystem development. So, so really looking at how can we get smart? How can we provide our partners with an understanding of the market? Uh, are there opportunities and new segments that have demand for a given product or service? You know, what is the potential impact uh, of this investment or this new strategy, essentially? Um, and, yeah, helping, helping measure and understand is a big part of what we do and inform better business. Um, and then, you know, with that, we also are bringing just purpose-driven talent. So whether it's it's design or you know te- technical, uh, the talent and the resources we're bringing to the table from a culture and values perspective are thinking through problems with the lens of sustainability, inclusion, well-being, and livability. And uh, I, I think sometimes it's it's easy to get off course when our compass isn't aligned or the culture is not aligned on the team and you may be more short-sighted or opportunistic. Um, so that really does help, I find, in our engagements where we keep coming back to these core principles. We uh, can help <laughs> steer and do uh, what we view as a net positive direction. And are you seeing 
because I, I admit that in the U.S. versus Asia, there is definitely a difference in how corporations approach sustainability and climate. I think there is probably a little bit more consumer pressure in markets like America and Europe versus in Asia, where that consumer pressure is only really starting to start to show itself now. Are you seeing senior leaders and senior management take this very seriously, or are they looking at it? In my in my perspective, what I've seen is many people are looking at it like an audit task, like especially when it comes to ESG, they're looking at it like you just have to tick the box on, yep, we've done the reporting, this is it. And it's very much looked at as a compliance issue rather than a critical business function. Are you seeing there being differences in, in, in these corporates? Yeah, I, I do think that uh, there's a lot more room for investment in you know, green ESG <laughs> innovation. Um, and I, I do think that's coming. Some companies are doing it faster and better than others. I would consider those to be more first movers at this stage uh, that are making larger investments and big plays in sustainability. Um, we, we do have some positive forces in terms of regulation at play and uh, incentives and opportunities. President Biden has been very forward on, on climate and uh, there have been more opportunities in the U.S. But, you know, I think that ultimately a lot of opportunity will emerge from the rising generation of consumers. You look at Gen Z and Gen Alpha and that data and uh, market validation, (laughs) those business cases are starting to proliferate. And so I think as we start to see more disposable income with the rising generation, who's come up essentially and been educated in a world where climate change (laughs) is apparent in the science is there and you see the leadership uh, from Gen Z and and what's emerging with Gen Alpha, uh, as well as the anxiety across their peer groups. And that is starting to make shifts. You know, it it is that conversation's coming home uh, where managers and leaders are hearing it uh, from their, their youth and children, in addition to, again, the disposable income that's starting to grow in that segment and being able to uh, use purchasing power to make changes. So I think that we need a lot more. We're not there yet. Uh, There are some really bold plays in the market and investors, but I see it as this this next generation of consumers that really is gonna help grow the momentum to where we need to go. And that's international, by the way. I mean, we, with our Youth Sustainability Academy that we've had the opportunity to to deliver sessions to students all around the world, uh, just some of the most impressive young leaders uh, from high school to undergraduate imaginable and huge levels of motivation and aptitude comprehension around sustainability uh, and a huge desire to see shifts in their local communities. And they have access to all the information and the data through the internet. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's actually incredible. 
So, so talk to me a little bit about the work that you do with youth, because I'm constantly impressed by the generation that is coming up after us and their interest and their passion. Uh, I know that when I was 15, 16, I wasn't on the streets protesting about climate as much as I may have cared about it. What is the work that you're doing with, with youth around the world and what are you seeing come from that? Well, a, a lot of the work we've had the opportunity to do is helping upskill around social entrepreneurship fundamentals, how to be a leader in your local community, put together a project, a you know, explore cross-sector partnerships and different interest groups, um, heavily anchored curriculum and content around the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, so really helping bring that framework uh, to the forefront of their education and their thinking as community leaders and as social entrepreneurs, uh, but also, you know, delving into ESG metrics and different ways that they can make collect data and make their projects more attractive to corporations that are looking to check certain boxes is the reality to your point, but take advantage of those funds and those interests uh, and get the money and, continue to grow and make an impact. Um, so that's a lot of the work that we've had the opportunity to do, everything from online type of structure to in-person, uh, shorter format workshops. Yeah, I was just at George Washington University with their Center for International Business Education and, and Research delivering a workshop with a blend of undergraduate and graduate students. and. Um, it, it was amazing the diversity of different academic interests and majors in that session, you know, from, from legal to business to engineering, you know, there, there's really um, just an incredible amount of interest in this work. Well, I mean, amazing because, you know, sustainability and, and solving the climate problem is really going to be a team sport and we're going to need to have lawyers and engineers and finance people. And, you know, we have a lot of scientists, but we're going to need marketeers. We need salespeople. You know, part of the problem that I've seen in, in this space is that everybody comes from a place of passion, but passion doesn't always sell or doesn't always convince. And you need, you know, sales guys, you need market guys, you need, you know, growth hackers, you need all these people to kind of come together to push, whether that's products, services, or even consultancies. In, in this space. So you, you've done a bit of work in the UAE with this as well, which is a very interesting market considering obviously their dependence on oil revenue and, you know, they're, they're hosting COP, which is a bit controversial at the moment, considering that the head of the, I think it's the Abu Dhabi National Oil Corporation is the, the head of COP. So, you know, there is a bit of controversy around that. What are you seeing with the youth in, in the Middle East? I see the, again, the youth internationally and especially in the Middle East, incredibly uh, inspired and motivated. I, you know, I am an optimist and I do believe that uh, leaders in the UAE are trying to make shifts and continue to invest in innovation. You know, we'll see how the, the final days of COP pan out and what initiatives are, are launched uh, off the back of this COP. Um, but I do, from my time in the UAE and the different leaders as well as youth I've had the opportunity to work with, I see a general sentiment and genuine desire to innovate, to make the right shifts in big oil and gas, to address different issues and uh, 
again, it's 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 not going to be an immediate energy transition, uh, but to start to look at a plan, look at ways of mitigation. Um, you know, I think if you look at Norway and their ecosystem around big oil and gas and energy, a lot of a lot of lessons and best practices to take there. I think yeah, the Middle East is just incredibly well positioned in the UAE uh, to drive a tremendous amount of economic development, global technolo- technological advancement and innovation, um, and push forward major solutions in renewable energy. And, and you've seen the diversification and the growth. Now, do we need more? Absolutely. Uh, is there going to be an opportunity to, to hold leaders accountable over the next you know, immediate five to 10 years. Absolutely. Uh, but we, we have the data and we can see what's actually happening. And again, the uh, viable plans for a clean energy transition are starting to emerge, I believe. And I'm optimistic and hopeful we're going to get there. I feel that everybody I talk to in climate is optimistic because you have to be every day. Otherwise, <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, it, otherwise it seems a little bit overwhelming can, and can be a bit daunting. And especially if you look at energy and, and, and particularly the energy transition, oil is you digging up, you know, decomposed dinosaurs from the ground with billions of dollars worth of equipment. Why that cannot be transferred into you laying billions of dollars worth of solar panels or wind farms or something else and then transporting that energy. I think that path hasn't been so laid out, but there's probably nobody better that knows how to move energy around the world as efficiently as possible than the oil majors. It's just the energy that they're moving is different. And if you threaten a company like any any organization, it will defend itself. So I think there has to be a way to bring these people on side because ultimately they're controlling billions and billions of dollars worth of energy investment. So, you know, I, I, there is a bit of a battle between the extremists who, you know, who would like to see Exxon and Shell uh, disbanded today. And the fact that even if you were to stop oil, stop all oil production today, we wouldn't have enough renewable to replace it with. So, there needs to be something in the middle there. And I think there has to be a pathway to this. Well, you make a really good point. I just want to touch on is that we, we need to bring all stakeholders together. And I, I don't believe in uh, polarization and alienating any groups to solving complex problems. Um, and that's you know looking at geopolitical or larger uh, issues like our, our climate crisis we need to bring together all sorts of different industry leaders and stakeholders to solve these problems. And the second we start to alienate and polarize groups, they're going to get on the defense, like you said. And so how can we try to be uh, vigilant and explicit and apply pressure? And I'll also note that I think everyone has a role to play. And if that's activism and being really loud and exposing, you know, true crimes or injustices, that's, that's important as well. And I think it, we do need to, you know, generate the information and hold people accountable. And sometimes public shame, shaming can be uh, a, a method and an approach um, to bringing more visibility to an issue. 
So I, I just think though that I lean more towards how do we extend compassion and uh, bring different stakeholders and leaders together, meet everyone where they're at currently and move forward a constructive dialogue. You know, I think a great example of this is how Jane Goodall partnered with big oil and gas to bring awareness to different infrastructure development projects and pipelines and help guide them to minimize the amount of damage on the habitats that she was protecting and cared about. And so, you know, it was, she was being pragmatic that she wasn't going to be able to eliminate the project at that point. However, she could help guide it in a certain direction. I I think that's brilliant. That's very visionary leadership. That's meeting folks where they're at, where we're at currently as a society and as a global economy and was very constructive. Um, it, it doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with you know, these different groups, but can we try to find a way to uh, educate and build alliances and, and move forward? I completely agree with the fact that we need to bring people on side. There are you know groups on one end, Extinction Rebellion is, is someone that comes to mind where, or a group at least that comes to mind where they're taking a very extreme case. And that needs to be said. It needs to be put there. I, I, I actually completely support what they do because they do need to draw attention, especially when you have oil companies that are pumping hundreds of millions of dollars into lobbying. Forget anything else, but just trying to convince and persuade governments that their side is right. And they've been doing it for decades. So there does need to be some balance. What I would really love to see, which I haven't is I think the new CEO of Shell recently came out saying we're doubling down on oil because it's profitable, et cetera, et cetera. I would love to see their share price take a hit when they say something like that. Unfortunately, I don't think that happened. So there wasn't the sort of backlash that needs to happen uh, when someone from a, a company as powerful as Shell, ironically, a company that was sued because of their greenwashing. So there's really like um, they are starting to hold people accountable for what they're saying. And I think these oil companies should be they should be held accountable for their promises if they're trying to change. But I don't know whether that's going to come in the next two, three or 10 years. Honestly, that, that that's going to be a big challenge, I think, is trying to dissuade them that you've got to let go of this very highly profitable part of your business to focus on something that is right now not generating anywhere near the level of money that oil is and, and that's where the consumer uh, attention and demand needs to shift um, investor priorities need to shift and we need to get stronger vision and forecasting towards uh, again what is the opportunity over the coming decades as opposed to over the next three years you know it, we li- we live in <laughs> a highly competitive world with a lot of fear and scarcity mindset. Mm. And and that is where sociologically we also need to make these shifts and and culturally uh, to be more, uh, you know, cooperative. Like I'm an athlete, (laughs) I love good sportsmanship and competition, but in a, in a, cooperative 
way we need to be competitive and listening to different groups and yeah, having more accountability and shifting towards more uh, abundance. And, and again, I think looking at um, how are some of these businesses and these organizations impacting communities and adding value to society. You know, we, we've overturned, I believe, on um, growth, on, you know, technology is incredible, but, you know, there's been certain investments over the last decade that don't have true value creation <laughs> tethered to them. Um, and so how do we, yeah, start to analyze that and make shifts in the right direction? I mean, it, 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 it's really challenging. And this kind of comes to one of the comments that you made uh, when we were speaking earlier, which was about fixing the foundation of humanity, which is a bold, bold claim. Tell me more about how how you're going about that or what you even mean by that phrase. We, I came together with some of my colleagues in early 2022 and came up with the concept of solving for basic human needs and, and going back to the basics, you know, it's, there's, there's so many problems to solve and it's, to your point, it's daunting and overwhelming at times as, you know, someone who is an entrepreneur and a problem solver and, you know, within this exercise said, okay, let's come back to the basics. <laughs> if we can get food, water, baseline livability, right and then add on you know clean air because our air quality has clearly been impacted and uh, access to basic affordable quality health care we also added in as you live in america care. right the the basic <laughs> affordable health care I, I, I didn't know you guys even knew what that was over there <laughs> oh man let's we can go down that rabbit hole and uh, of our healthcare system but, you know, just look, look at these, these basics. And again, I, I think this idea that we're solving for certain moonshots or, and some of them could unlock huge levels of democratization. You know, I, I do believe that AI utilized in the right way with the right safety and ethics could solve immense problems and will solve immense problems. Um, so it's not to say stop investing in technology, uh, but I do believe that <laughs> certain investments and moonshots, no pun intended with that, um, have distracted solving for some of these more basic human needs and that we need to cr create more investment, more focus. There needs to be more talent oriented towards food, water, baseline livability, clean air, um, and basic healthcare. Cause, cause what happens is it's a virtuous cycle. If we can solve for these areas, you know, there, there's probably some superstar talent right now. That's and, and well, absolutely. I'll say this. There definitely is superstar talent out there. Geniuses that, uh, are hungry uh, they're, they're malnourished. They're not getting the water they need. They're dehydrated. Uh, they're, they're in survival mode uh, and or suffering. And we are not taking care of 
a lot of humanity. And so let's get that right. And that's also what the orientation and the vision of these solutions should be. And again, the sustainable development goals are very holistic and looking at hunger and clean drinking water. So it's not that novel, but just taking it from 17 and, and trimming it down to let's get some of these things right. The amount of impact we can have is so tangible if we're bringing healthy, nutritious food and clean drinking water to community. Uh, can we get more investment and more momentum on these basic human needs and rights and foundations for humanity? And, and what would the world look like if we got that right? Um, so that's the concept and just where we spend a lot of our time in terms of research and thought leadership. And you know, I'm curious, you know, what if we had <laughs> a lot more talent and resources focused on that? What would the world look like? I mean, I'm always amazed um, when you read that. I think it's, and you know, don't quote me on this, but it's something like 20 to 25 countries in the world, uh, including the one that I live in, Singapore, which I feel very blessed for, has clean drinking water out of the taps, right? Like something that is so basic, uh, only 10% of the countries on the planet even can get to that point. Uh, it's incredible when you think about how fundamental to life water is and you know, you're, you hear these stories in Africa of people having to walk 10, 15 kilometers a day just to get water. That is taking huge amounts of time out of your day, out of your life for basic survival. Then you start talking about things like sanitation. You talk about things like food and food security. These are really basic needs that a vast majority of humanity doesn't have. Probably more have it now than they did 20 or 30 years ago, but still it's a huge amount that that doesn't, and you're right. I mean, I saw, I think, a YouTube clip of a guy in Africa who built a, a wind turbine from watching YouTube. You know, that, incredible that he was able to put this thing together. He put it on his house. It generates electricity. And, and you're like, he got this from watching YouTube. So the internet is really going to open up the world to so many people who didn't maybe have access to that kind of education. But if you're not healthy, if you're not well-fed, if you're not hydrated, none of this really matters ultimately. Absolutely. No, health, health is ultimately wealth. And I think we, uh, we have a big, we have a lot of debts and we have a lot of, um, I think issues. And you can just look at that again from a overall human perspective, you know, human to human and, if we can shift towards true, you know, global citizenship and one earth and uh, thinking more about oneness and the collective and start to be rewarding leaders and companies and that are actually moving the needle on basic human needs and, and these foundational uh, challenges, uh, I think that would be <laughs> a lot of progress and, um, it, they're, they're very complex though, you know, ultimately, again, there's, there's a lot of competition, even in the nonprofit sector, which, you know, as I uh, did, have done some different projects was, I, I wasn't expecting, um, but it, it's, it's how we're wired and we need to, we need to shift that. And again, optimistic, we are, we are evolving. I, I do think that unlock and, Caring for everyone is where we're going to go to our next stage of, of evolution. And 
how do we get there? What is the behavioral change that's needed here in humanity? How do we get to that point? That that's a, that's a great question. Well, I think um, some of it comes from uh, revisiting, you know, mindfulness practices, and you know, I think uh, th- there is a shift in uh, looking more towards different practices for cultivating our awareness and, um, you know, getting, getting out of our ego, frankly. And, you know, I, I think that, um, there's a big opportunity within education for continuing to support this rising generation and, uh, setting good examples. I think that, you know, ultimately though, um, we need to, be investing in taking care of well well being of ourselves and our families. Um, I think that if you're not taking care of yourself, uh, you are probably not going to take care of your community and others. And so that's where I do think that certain mindfulness practices um, can help open us up to being more generous and, and thinking of others. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, there's certain spiritual leaders I really admire certain philosophers, um, you know, many teachers who I think are devoting their lives towards helping, uh, leaders and individuals cultivate more sense of community belonging. And I think we need we need a lot more of that. Again, uh, that's how we're going to solve these challenges: getting away from the individualistic, like competitive, scarcity mindset, and and making that shift. I think that is a great, great, optimistic place to to leave it, Eric. I, I appreciate your time, and and thanks for chatting today. No, thanks so much. Always great connecting.